This morning we will be looking at Luke chapter 19. It is a a well-known story, but do not let that stop you from paying attention to God's Word. For the Word of the Lord is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the Word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Luke chapter 19, the first ten verses. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, there is indeed none like you. Lord, you know our name. You know all that we have done. And yet, nonetheless, you are with us. Lord, we ask that you would teach us from your word. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, one of the most wonderful things about the Bible is that you can never get to the bottom of it. There's always something more that we can learn from the Bible, even when we are looking at a story that is very familiar to us. This is just One story like this. A story that many believers have grown up on through the years. The story of the wee little man, Zacchaeus. And in case you don't have the tune now stuck in your head, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. But... When the Bible comes to us with a story that we know, the important thing is to to look and to see what God is teaching us. And so today, Lord willing, we will see some grown-up lessons from the story we heard as children. It's a story of a man who sought Jesus. 
a man named Zacchaeus. He was seeking Jesus, but more importantly, he was sought by Jesus. And when Jesus had found him, we see that salvation is embraced by this man. Seeking Jesus, sought by Jesus, and a salvation that's embraced. Let's begin then by looking at the beginning of chapter 19. This is Jesus' last personal encounter with someone before he comes to Jerusalem to complete the work that he came to perform. The work of suffering and dying upon a cross, being buried in the tomb, and rising again for the justification of his people. And as we have been looking at these last few chapters, this is now the third of three stories talking about salvation. And Jesus. Three stories. A rich young ruler, a blind man named Bartimaeus, and now a wee little man named Zacchaeus. Three stories that show that in each case, they were lost. Now, they were lost in different ways with different expressions. But each in their own way, they were lost and in need of salvation. And there's actually a very clear connection between the story of the rich young ruler and the rich man Zacchaeus. As we'll see in just a few minutes, it's the outworking of Jesus' description of how difficult it is to be saved. Well, Jesus is coming now into this place called Jericho. For many of us, we are familiar with Jericho from the Old Testament. It conjures up images of walls tumbling down, of Joshua and his army going around the city. This Jericho is a new Jericho. You may recall that in the Old Testament, after those days, Jericho was rebuilt. But here in the New Testament, a new Jericho has risen up, built by Herod. You might think of it after this fashion. There is, after all, where we are, Katy. But isn't there a difference between what we call old Katy and new Katy? Different areas. And so, here we have a new Jericho to go along with an old one. This, I think, could help us to understand. In these last two chapters, it seems like Jesus is going out of Jericho and going into Jericho, and he's between Jericho. Well, it's because there are, there are two areas with a little bit of separation in between, but they're all called Jericho. This new Jericho was an incredibly wealthy, beautiful city. Do not think of the pagan land with the high walls. Think of a city that was wealthy because it had large forests of palm trees. It had great gardens of balsam. It had Wealth beyond imagining in its natural resources. It was actually also positioned in a very good spot, positioned at the crossing of the River Jordan. So you can imagine, in addition to all they had to sell, there were all of the time soldiers, merchants, businessmen coming through Jericho. And it's for this reason that Rome located one of its three large tax centers in Jericho. There were three main places 
where they brought all the money in. Jericho, Capernaum, and Caesarea. And so this was a place that was full of wealth, full of splendor. This will help us to understand just what kind of a person Zacchaeus was. The first thing that we should understand about Zacchaeus is that he was Jewish. Now, it might not seem like that because people didn't like him and they they stayed away from him, but he was Jewish. His name, first of all, is a Jewish name. Now, there's great irony here because Zacchaeus' name actually means something like clean or innocent. This was not a man who lived up to his mother's naming of him. And we see throughout the story clues that he was actually born a Jew. He has a knowledge of the law of God when he talks about how he will repay others that he's defrauded. And perhaps most tellingly, when Jesus goes and stays with him, the crowd and the Pharisees are not able to say he's eating with a Gentile, which would be about the worst insult you could use. Because, of course, Zacchaeus was a Jew. But there's a second important thing about Zacchaeus. He's not just a Jew. He's also an outsider. He was not accepted in polite Jewish society. He might have been born to Jewish parents. He might even have had Jewish siblings. But to the Jews, he would not have been considered someone to be around. Because, after all, he was a chief tax collector. Now, we've met tax collectors before in the book of Luke. This is actually number six, if you're keeping track at home. And each time we have noticed and commented that tax collectors were hated by the Jews. Because remember, the way that the Romans collected taxes was not by having withholding from your paycheck. That's relatively painless. I know some of you don't like it, but... Withholding is a little bit easier than having to come up with a lump of money at a certain time, isn't it? Actually, the way the Romans did it was they said they wanted to collect so much in taxes and they bid it out. And highest bidder got the tax contract. And as long as they brought in what the Romans wanted, anything else they got was theirs to keep. So you can imagine that meant tax collectors were going to squeeze every nickel that they could from people because they got to keep all of the excess. But Zacchaeus was not your ordinary tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, which meant he was at the top of the pyramid. He was the one who had other tax collectors go out and collect for him, and he got his percentage for doing nothing. All he did was contract with Rome. So you can imagine how hated he would be. He was actually, you need to think about it this way. He was the head of the tax cartel in Jericho. Now, this kind of a man, a combination crook and traitor, is not someone that would be well thought of. Think of it this way. Would you want to spend time with someone who was not only a drug dealer, but was also president of the Al-Qaeda fan club? Of course not. He's a traitor. He's a criminal. But one other thing that he was, was rich. 
And his wealth pointed to his crimes and pointed to the abuses that he had put others under. Zacchaeus was a Jew, but he was also an outsider. Third and most importantly, I think for our purposes, Zacchaeus was a sinner. Remember, he was rich because he was a crook, not in spite of it. And actually in verse 7, when they're speaking of him, and they say that Jesus goes to dine with a man who is a sinner, this is far more than just saying, oh, he doesn't do things perfectly. It's far more than what we might comment and say, you know, all of us have sinned. No, this is not nobody's perfect. This is a category. If the Jews could have, they would have made signs that said sinner and hung them around certain people like Zacchaeus to put them outside of society. He knew it. You know, there is a linkage between this rich man and the rich young ruler. And Jesus talks about it is easier to go through the for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven? C.S. Lewis puts it wonderfully. He says, I imagine most of the locals would have liked to have seen Zacchaeus dragged through the eye of the needle. Cuts and blood and all. He didn't know it yet, but he needed Jesus. We need to understand this about Jesus. Zacchaeus and who he is because it helps us to understand that we need to remove from our vocabulary the words hopeless case. If anyone is a hopeless case, it's Zacchaeus. He's rich, self-sufficient, wicked, an outsider in the community, one who doesn't care about his nation. And yet here we're going to see Jesus, seek him out. This is who Zacchaeus is. He is a man, but he is also a man on a mission. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, it's initially unclear of why Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, because Zacchaeus is actually a bit unclear. Perhaps, being a tax collector, he had heard of Matthew. Perhaps he had even worked with Matthew and wondered why Matthew left everything behind to follow this Jesus, to wander around Israel with Jesus. I think more likely that in spite of all of the power and all of the money that he had, he found his life unsatisfying. You see, Zacchaeus had everything that most people want. If we are honest with ourselves, we want more money, don't we? We want what comes with it. Security. Pleasure. The benefits we can give to others. We think our relationships will be better with more money. We think our jobs will be better with more money. So many seek after wealth and power. And Zacchaeus had this. But you see, he was left wanting. There was a hole in his heart. 
There was an unease about his being because, you see, he knew that he had gotten it illegally, immorally. He couldn't make that voice quiet down in his mind. He had unease because he was ostracized. Imagine what it would be like to walk down one side of the street and as people approach, they intentionally cross just not to be near you. Money can't fill that hole. He has an unfulfilling life. He has spent his entire life striving for something that now has left him feeling very, very empty. Zacchaeus is a man who seems beyond the grace of God, beyond redemption, beyond fixing. This is an important reminder to you and to me. Because you see, there are some people, aren't there, that we think would never ever be interested in Jesus. Now, we may take a longer period of time to measure them up, but at some point we make a statement to ourselves that says, this person's never going to read the Bible. This person's never going to pray. Look at them. This person has absolutely no interest in the gospel. I would be wasting my time to talk to them. If you've ever felt that way, and I'm not asking you to raise your hands, think of Zacchaeus. Because that's what you and I would have thought of Zacchaeus. But he is a man on a mission to see Jesus. He wants to see who Jesus is. And Luke is very specific here. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He's heard the buzz. He's not seeking for anything specific. He doesn't have a plan in mind. He doesn't think Jesus is necessarily going to help him. All he knows is he wants to find out what this Jesus is all about. The problem is getting to Jesus doesn't prove very easy, does it? He's a man of short stature. But we need to remember who Zacchaeus is. You see, if we only think of the Sunday school song, we think of some sort of flannel board or cartoon, cute character who's trying to strain to see. Have you ever been to a parade? Do children have difficulty seeing at a parade? No. Why? Because people bring them to the front, don't they? Dads put them on their shoulders. We help them out. Not so Zacchaeus. Can you imagine Zacchaeus as he's trying to nudge his way through the crowd, the the jostling, the pushing? Oh, oh, sorry, Zacchaeus, was that your head? I didn't see you there. Oh, was that your foot? Get out of the way, Zacchaeus. Oh, there's an empty spot Zacchaeus can see. They're not about to help him at all. He knows not only is he short, he's not going to get any chance to see Jesus. This requires drastic action. And I want you to see this. Here is a man, Zacchaeus, a wicked man, a man who does not know Jesus, who does not have a relationship with Jesus, and he does not let initial obstacles stop him from seeing Jesus. We ought not to think that pursuing Jesus is easy. Sometimes there are obstacles put in our way, obstacles of pain, obstacles of confusion, obstacles of hurt, obstacles of misunderstanding, obstacles that keep us 
from seeing Jesus. But Zacchaeus persevered, didn't he? He persevered even though he didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And it was not a half-hearted effort. Look at what happens here in verse 4. He ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. Now, you've heard this before, but it bears repeating. Men did not run in these days. They wore togas or gowns or cloaks, and they had to pull them up. You can understand the vivid image. This is why you don't see ladies running in long flowing gowns. It just is not easy or seemly. But he runs. And then he does perhaps the only thing that's more embarrassing for a man than running. He climbs up a tree. Now, this is a sycamore tree. You have to imagine a tree like an oak with huge long branches. It probably grows to about 50 feet in height. But the branches are broad and long and horizontal, so it's very easy to climb. We had a tree like this when we lived in Mississippi. It wasn't a sycamore tree. It was a magnolia tree. And it was very, very easy to climb. As a matter of fact, it was so easy to climb that one of my boys at a very young age decided it would be a good thing to climb to the top of and then couldn't get down. And then, of course, because... It's unseemly for a man to climb a tree. And also, I didn't want to break the branches. My wife went up and got it. (laughs) So you can see this. This is humorous to see someone up in a tree. Picture Zacchaeus poking his head through the leaves so that he can see off at a distance. It's absolutely ridiculous. That's why children love this story in Sunday school. It's ridiculous. But all of this just sets the stage for what's going on. Because you see, Zacchaeus is not in the crowd to see Jesus. He's actually hiding in the tree. He's trying to get a glimpse of Jesus while staying safe and separate from him. But the thing that happens next is what changes everything. Zacchaeus may be a man seeking, but he's really sought by Jesus. Jesus begins to take the initiative here. Look at what happens at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. Now, notice here that it is Jesus who takes notice of Zacchaeus. What we would expect is that Zacchaeus would be rewarded for his shrewd plan that he would be up in the heights of the tree, shrouded by the leaves, and that he would see Jesus off at a distance and be safe. We expect Zacchaeus to be in control. After all, that's what Zacchaeus is used to, being in control. But the text surprises us. The text surprises us because what happens is, Jesus sees Zacchaeus first. Jesus is the one who comes to this place. Jesus is the one who sees Zacchaeus. There's a good reminder here for us. Because you see, beloved, there is no sense at all in hiding from Jesus. It can't be done. He knows who you are. He knows everything you've done. He knows all of the horrible sins you have committed by your actions, your thoughts, and your words. But do you know what? He still comes to see Zacchaeus. 
Jesus is not scared off by pain and misery and sin. Jesus comes to Zacchaeus. He seeks him out. And if there's any doubt as to who is doing the seeking, verse 5 settles it, doesn't it? Because Jesus looks up at him and he says what? Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. He knows exactly who Zacchaeus is and he's authoritative about it. Come down and come down quickly. It's a command and it's actually the kind of command that you would give a small child, wouldn't you? You don't just say, come here. You say, come on, come here. Now, now, not later, now, quickly. That's what Jesus is doing. He's exercising authority with someone who's used to having authority, who's used to being in control. He may not be happy, but he is in control. And then he says to Zacchaeus something that is very, very enlightening. He says, for I must stay at your house today. The word here for must is a very clear and purposeful word. It's a word that Luke uses over and over again to express divine necessity. This has to happen. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he says in Luke 2, Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? It's the same word that Jesus uses in Luke 4 when he says, I must preach the gospel and its good news. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Luke 9 where he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. There is nothing optional about this. And it goes beyond bare necessity. We will say this all the time. We must do this or we must do that. But it is in response to circumstances. Here when Jesus says, I must, what Jesus is saying to you and to me is this. I'm standing here now. I'm looking up in the tree. I walked down this road. I came to Jericho. I came at this day and at this time because before the foundations of the world, Zacchaeus, I was to meet you. Everything that Jesus has done up till this point points to this meeting. He's come to Jericho at a time in which he has to stay the night. He's come to a place that happens to be where the tree is. None of this is a coincidence. This is a purposeful, powerful command from Jesus. The interesting thing is, this is the only instance in the Gospels of Jesus inviting himself to someone's house. Jesus is in complete control of this circumstance. Do not kid yourself. It is not as if Zacchaeus is manipulating Jesus. Jesus is completely in control. This is a sovereign work of God. And this is how Jesus saves lost sinners. He comes to them uninvited, unready, unsure, unclean. Jesus invites himself. He does not wait for you to clean up your language. He does not wait for you to clean up your act. He does not wait for you to attend church so many times. Jesus is the powerful Savior. And He goes where He will. And He comes to miserable lost sinners. Like you and me and Zacchaeus. 
How great a mercy is that of God? That it doesn't depend on us, our feelings, our circumstances. But it depends on Jesus. And there is an initial response to this work of Jesus that comes from Zacchaeus. It is a great response of joy. Look with me at verse 6. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. Something changes about Zacchaeus, doesn't it? Right here and right now. Zacchaeus obeys Jesus. Think about this. Think about the potential embarrassment. I dare say if it were you or I in the tree, we would try as hard as we could to fade into the background and look green. So that this would just go away. Because remember, it isn't just Jesus. It's a whole crowd here. It's a whole hostile crowd here. And Jesus says, come down. And Zacchaeus obeys. He doesn't think about his past. He doesn't think about the people. It's as if he is focused like a laser beam on Jesus. What started as a curiosity has moved to a life-changing event. There's a warning here for you. You can't remain curious with Jesus. You can't look at Jesus from a distance and say, what a fine teacher. You can't wonder how Jesus stacks up to Buddha and Muhammad and the other religious leaders of the world. You cannot be curious about what Jesus might have been like. No, you either meet Jesus or you don't. You're either gripped by Jesus, or you're not. It doesn't take much, does it? It's one sentence to Zacchaeus. One sentence with authority and knowledge that Jesus knows everything about this man, and he still wants to have a relationship with him. People don't like this. You see, Zacchaeus may respond with joy, But others respond with ridicule. Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And they start by ridiculing Zacchaeus. Now, the onlookers describe Zacchaeus in the worst possible light. They could have said, the man who was in the tree. They could have said, the man who sought Jesus. They could have even said, the man who was short. But how do they describe Zacchaeus? As a sinner. As someone you shouldn't be around. Now, notice also that unlike past experiences, it's not just the Pharisees being judgmental. It's the people being judgmental. Everyone grumbles. Now, there's one thing that is necessary. And we should not let anything get in the way of that. And that's being with Jesus. Zacchaeus doesn't let that ridicule stop him. He doesn't let it get in the way. Because you see, Zacchaeus is not the only one here who was ridiculed. Jesus is ridiculed here as well. It goes beyond Zacchaeus to Jesus. It's the typical focus that they have. They're focused more on people's categories than on the good that Jesus is doing. Here's a... Pithy way to describe it. 
They would rather be away from Zacchaeus than be with Jesus. Stop and let that sink in. Is there any part of your life that that describes you? That because someone does X or someone does Y, you would rather be distant from Jesus and keep them from Jesus than be near to them. Because what you have to understand, beloved, is that doesn't come from holiness. That doesn't come from faithfulness to the scriptures. That comes from the enemy. Because you see, the people feeling that way are the enemies of Jesus here. The enemies of Zacchaeus' soul here. They want Zacchaeus to remain damned. They want him to be punished. They don't want him to be redeemed. They don't want him to know Jesus. Oh, that we would be marked as a people. To be known as those who long to bring others to the feet of Jesus. To push aside all barriers. That we would long to come ourselves, no matter what self-imposed barriers we have put on ourselves, no matter what our past says or what others think of us. Calvin puts it well. He says, the world disregards the offer of the grace of God, but it complains bitterly when it is conveyed to others. How do you view the Lord Jesus? Zacchaeus seeks after Jesus. He is sought by Jesus, and then he experiences salvation that comes to him and is embraced. We see this in verse 8 in Zacchaeus' response. He says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I will restore it fourfold. Think about this. Zacchaeus was the worst of men. But he met Jesus and found forgiveness. And that forgiveness brought change. It was a concrete change that could be seen. Do you see this? The very first thing that he does is confess his sin. Not just to Jesus, remember, but to the whole town. He says, I am guilty of not having done what God has commanded. I have not given to the poor. He says, I am guilty of doing things contrary to God's law. I have defrauded and stolen from other people. He confesses his sin and then do you see what he does? He acts on that confession. It's not just good intentions. Do you see? He says, behold, Lord, I give. There is absolutely no hesitation in his voice. It's a present tense verb. He doesn't say, I'll think about giving. He doesn't even say, I will give. He goes far beyond what is required. The Bible only required 20% to be given to the poor. The Bible only recovered you to double give back when you defrauded someone. He goes on and on and on. Why does he do this? Do we sit here in our middle class American mentality and look and say, he's given away his retirement home. He will never be able to buy another car. What is this man doing? You know what he's doing? He's proving... That anything is possible with God. Even a rich man can inherit eternal life. He did 
with the other man who had kept the law all his life could not bring him to do. He is living out this command. He knows everything that he had sought had been empty. And he knows that true faith is a repentant faith. John Murray puts it this way. The faith that is unto salvation is a penitent faith. And the repentance that is unto life is a believing repentance. He acts upon his belief to show he has been changed. And that merits an affirmation from Jesus. Look with me at verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, do you see again the grace of Jesus? He doesn't leave Zacchaeus to wonder. Could you imagine that? Should I give 50% or should I give 60% to be safe? Should I refund four times or should I do five times to be safe? Because you see, that describes every other man-made religion in the world. There's no certainty. Have I bowed in a certain direction enough times? Have I prayed enough times? Have I given enough? Have I said enough? You see, only Jesus brings certainty of salvation. Zacchaeus had seen beyond all salvation, and everyone would have written him off. Let's be honest. We would have looked at him and completely written him off for church membership. This guy will never, ever become a member of our church. There's so many barriers in the way. And yet when he meets Jesus, they all just melt away in the power of his grace. He was the worst of the worst, but Jesus brings him great words of comfort. He restores to Zacchaeus his long-lost identity. He reminds him that he is a part of the people of God. He is a son of Abraham. A son of Abraham marked by faith, marked by commitment to Jesus. You can discover that long-lost identity also. Your identity is found in Christ. Your identity is one made in the image of God. Your identity is one who hears God. You see, this is who Jesus is. We see it in verse 10, don't we? For the Son of Man came to save, or excuse me, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what is lost. Every sinner can have a relationship. With Jesus. Jesus calls you by name. He leaves us with no doubts at all about his ability to save. Jesus is the one who restores. Jesus is the one who before the foundation of the world had set his love upon one as miserable as Zacchaeus. If he can do that for Zacchaeus, can he not do that for you? If Zacchaeus can find certainty and comfort, can't you? If Zacchaeus can be changed, can't you? This story here is to show us that it is not about us, but it's about Jesus. He is the great restorer of all that is broken. He is the great finder of all that is lost. With Jesus, there is always life 
and hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would remind us of the greatness of your Son. That there is indeed none like the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, O Lord, that you would point us to him. That we would see his beauty. That we would see his sacrifice. That we would know that we are loved in Christ. This we ask in the name, above all names, the name of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.